Hey, Lisa. Hey, Julie. How are you? I'm great. I feel like we haven't connected in a while. Uh, we missed a podcast recording last week because I was away on vacation. So we took a little vacation. Yeah, which everybody needs now, now and again. So um, how was it? How was your how was your vacation? It was great. Before we jump to that, I want to apologize to our listeners. There was some sort of issue with our previous recording. It was a coaching podcast we did. Something happened with Apple Podcasts where it was uh, it's it's available on that platform, but there was something going on with the iOS and the upload. So for those that struggled with hearing it on Apple Podcasts, we apologize. We've tried to work that out with Anchor, our recording platform, but you can hear it on any other platform, Spotify, Anchor itself, um, Podbean, any of those, it's available if you had trouble hearing it on Apple Podcasts, but we apologize for those who had difficulty. Um, my vacation was great. We went to Duck, North Carolina, which is about a five-hour drive from where we live, and um, it's just super relaxing, um, really easy to be socially distant, uh, great weather, uh, great trails for running, and I didn't run at all. So, buddy, why you didn't? So, um, I think everyone remembers a few weeks ago I had acknowledged that I got bitten up by all these bugs on my Achilles, and it was a really weird freak thing. And I went to see Rachel Miller, and she did some stim, and I immediately felt better and uh, continued running normally. But when I got down to North Carolina, the first day I was down there, I started off to do my normal running route, and it just felt a little weird. And I was running about a mile and I thought, you know what, I'm going to be down here for like 10 days. And what if I continue running and something happens where I can't walk the way I want to walk and I don't have Rachel or any physical therapist down here and I don't want to hurt myself. And also I'm kind of tired of running right now and I'm on vacation. I'm going to try something. I'm going to not run on vacation. And it was really easy to do. And I think, of course, that's because there are no races. So I'm not training for anything. But it was such a nice opportunity to, to just feel like I didn't have to get up at a certain time to beat the heat to run. I didn't have to map out a certain route because I wanted to do a certain mileage that day. I walked a lot. Um, I felt really good. I didn't feel icky because I wasn't running. Whereas in the past I might've, I don't, I don't know what that shift is, but I have to believe again, it's because I don't feel the pressure of training for something. And I wasn't really worried that I would lose any fitness because as a coach, I really recognize firsthand and from seeing our other runners that a few weeks off of running is not going to change my running at all. So I did a lot of walking. I spent a lot of time hanging out with family, did a lot of fun activities, um, went fishing, uh, did some jet skiing. It was just great that, you know, it was in the ocean. It just was really relaxing. And in the morning I would go for walks, sometimes with the kids, sometimes without, and it was great. So. And how do you feel now? So tell, what was the result of those 10 days? Oh, sure. Kind of Active, active recovery arrest. So when I returned, I called, well, while I was down there, I called Rachel's office and I said, you know, I'd really love an appointment after I get back. I'm just, something's not right. I want to make sure I'm okay. And 
fortunately, they had a cancellation um, Friday morning, and I got back really late Thursday night. So um, I went in Friday morning, and Rachel saw me, and she immediately thought that the cause of my little flare-up was from sitting in the car for a long time because we didn't stop. <laughs> um, basically, I was like, hey, kids, don't drink a lot. <laughs> We're not stopping <laughs> because of COVID. I just didn't know where to stop. And my kids are old enough. I was like, can you just hold it? So that's what we did. And I feel like maybe it was the way I was sitting, but Rachel really believes that I just had some sort of numbness or something happen. And she wasn't alarmed at all. And she used a uh, stim on me for quite some time and massage and said, just go for a run and see how you feel. And I went for a run and I ran near my house the first day, like three miles, and I felt a little weak, um, but fine. And then the next day I cycled and then the next day I ran again and I ran a 10K and I felt fine. And the only thing that didn't feel great, of course, is the heat and humidity. So since I've been back and I've now been back for uh, five days. Um, I've just run every other day and I haven't had any issues. Um, but just in case, I'm going to continue going back to ProAction uh, once a week and just have them do some stim on me because I'm not super comfortable with the fact that I have any kind of flare up and I just want to make sure I'm okay. But having that reassurance from Rachel and the other PTs there that I am okay makes me feel a lot better about going out for a run. So to answer your question, I didn't lose any fitness. Um, I probably lost a little heat acclimation, but then again, I was in North Carolina walking or running around in the heat all day, so maybe not, and I'm no worse for the wear. So how are you doing, Lisa? I'm good. I'm, uh, you know, we're settling into kind of whatever the new normal is for the summer and grateful to have a few kind of distractions. Um, Kira, who's my youngest, uh, made a soccer team for the fall if there is going to be a soccer nice. team. Nice. Made the soccer team. So now she has practices, which socially distant coach has done a really amazing job. And before we joined the team, actually, they were just telling me, the other parents were telling me he did Zoom training for the full um, duration, like two hours of the training. The kids were on Zoom and they were really engaged with it. And he's done a really nice job of doing socially distant practice where the kids each have their own grid area where they stay they're not scrimmaging or anything like that but you know she's getting to be able to go back and work on her soccer skills and um uh alex actually had decided you know um you and i've talked about this before we're not on strava we're not people but alex puts all his bike rides on strava and there's a strava challenge right now um it's the trek strava challenge where you ride a uh, hundred five hundred or a thousand miles outdoors like outdoor riding you can do it on a smart trainer which measures your mileage but not like a peloton or indoor bike or anything like that but you ride a certain number of miles and you get prizes and you know you put prizes in front of a ambitious teenager and um that will get, light a little light a little fire under under his tush and he decided he didn't start the challenge he didn't really find out about it until 10 days in to the month so you know, has 20 days left. And I thought, well, that'd be great. Get a hundred miles. You know, we can easily do that. We do rides on the weekend. He said, no, I want to get 500 miles. Oh my God. So, um, that means that most of the time I'm riding with him because I'm not comfortable with him riding by himself yet. But I will say that his friend from the cycling team asked him last weekend, if he would go on a, a 40 mile ride with him and by himself, <laughs> and this, his friend has been riding by himself actually. And, you know, we have all the tracking devices so we can 
um, track on Garmin live track and he has his phone with him. And I, I, I've ridden with him millions of times and know that he's very safe and I trust him a hundred percent. Actually, last time we went out to ride a few times ago, he got a flat tire, his tire blew out actually. And he fixed it within two minutes and was back up and on the road. And I, I couldn't have done that. So, so, so I trust him more than I trust myself, but it's still actually, you know, the friend that he rode with is the friend that you saw on the millennium trail one day. You know? I figured that was who it was. Yeah. Cause he was, so he was in C, he rides by himself quite frequently. So the father said to me like, Oh, come on. Like they're, you know, they're teenagers. They can do this. Let him go. So I did let him ride on the weekend with his friend, but for the, but, I, but he now has a goal of every, pretty much every weekday that he can riding at least 30 miles so he can get up to 500. And, um, I've been the one that gets to go with him. So how I've long been, does that take you guys generally to do that? About an hour and a half. A little okay. Over. So he's, he's fast. And so, I mean, he does have to wait for me sometimes, but if I'm riding with him, it's pretty fast. So about an hour and a half and we don't go, we're going to try to go, I think tomorrow early in the morning when it's cooler, but we've been going later. Like today, we're going to go, you know, after we get off here, probably four o'clock in the afternoon. So it, it's hot. And, um, but he's had so much fun, like plotting out routes. And so I've shifted a lot of my training to cycling now. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's, different. It's harder, but it's also, I think in this weather better because when you're riding in this weather, it's still hot and it's still humid, but it's a little better because you're getting a breeze. You're, you're right. It's a little bit different, um, you know, than, than running in the heat in the afternoon. I could never run in the heat in the afternoon, but I can ride, we can ride with stops and hydration and kind of plotting out some routes that are more shady. So, but I, I've really shifted a lot of my, my training right now to, to cycling and I never would have, uh, without, without him. So this is sort of stepping out of my comfort zone. I obviously ride a lot on a stationary bike. I was teaching a lot of classes. I have a trainer, a bike on a trainer, and I do a lot of that. But I don't typically get out on the roads just for logistical purposes. Um, but he's dragged me out every single day and takes no excuses for like, oh, it's hot. Well, that's okay. We're going to, you know, this is the route we're going to do. Or, and to see him really excited about this has been um, has been cool. So he's going to hit those, come hell or high water, he's going to hit those 500 miles and going to get a lot of cycling in, in the next few weeks. So just for those listening, you're not um, running as much. Like you're not trying to fit in your runs as much. You, you recognize that that's taxing to run in the afternoon yep. in the heat and you're acknowledging that you need to lower your mileage to be able oh, to do all and, that. And you, I mean, not, I'm very used to cycling, but um, again, being out in the heat in the afternoon for some long rides and, and it, riding, just like running on a treadmill is different than running outside riding on a train or a stationary bike is very different than riding inside. So it's definitely, I, I feel it differently. And, um, but it's been a lot of, it's been a lot of fun and it's, it's, um, you know, it's good sometimes I think to get out of your comfort zone and just try it like you, like you did on vacation where you, you know, you walked, you did some other things, you fished, you did something different. Like it's, it's sometimes nice to get out of that routine of what we're so used to and what we really tie ourselves to. And, and try something different. I love that you're like giving, you know, you're like, like you, you jumped, you got out of your comfort zone. You're lazy. <laughs> but you're right. You're so right. Like it's hard to be lazy. <laughs> it's hard to be, you weren't lazy. I would say you were very smart and just like all runners, it's part of your training. Um, so, uh, yeah, but I think, it, but I do think we get into kind of like such a rut with a routine of like, this is the run I do. I do it this time. I do it this distance every day. You know, this is what I do. And we don't always try something different, whether that's rest and recovery or fishing or walking or cycling or whatever. It's hard to get out of that. Um, you know, you get stuck into that sort of a rut. So it's been, it's been good. So as much as it's kind of 
challenge me to get out of my comfort zone, I'm enjoying it. That's great. I love it. I love that you're bonding also with your teenage son doing that. I, I think that's bonding, like waiting for me as he's like a half mile ahead. He's, always, he's like, you can lead now. He'll be like, you can lead. Like, cause he'll, he's usually leading and like I'm drafting behind him. He's like, you can lead. I'm like, I'm trying to get ahead of you to lead. I can't get ahead of you to lead. That is super cute. I think it's great. I love it. And, um, speaking of like comfort zones and goals, um, you signed up and you are committed to doing the virtual Boston. So were you um, one of the earlier registrants to get the swag? I believe there it was. Yeah, I did. Yeah, the, the, okay, the swag good. went, there was a big question mark as to, so the swag is that the first 15,000 yes. to register the virtual marathon will get a special box before the race of like some, some goodies from sponsors. And there was a big question mark. First, there was a concern because the registration emails went out in waves. So you may have gotten it at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. or 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. And people who didn't get it till later in the day were like, well, that's not fair. I didn't get the registration link. So how can I be one of the first 15,000? From what it looks like and what I understand is that it basically took all at the end of the day, they still only had 13,000 registered. And then, yes, I got an email a couple of days later that said I was within the first 15,000 to register. So We'll get everybody can everybody who was uh, registered for the April Boston Marathon will be able to enter the virtual and run the virtual and get their swag for that. But it was just the first fifteen thousand that they get the pre race box. So yes, I did get an email um, that that said I I had qualified for that. So for whatever that's worth, I'm gonna get some Cliff Bars and some other fun stuff. Excellent. Well, I will cheer you on. I've decided I'm not going to do the virtual Boston. It just, it wasn't exciting me enough to commit to the training. And I felt uh, like it would cause a little bit uh, of stress for me to try and figure out how to fit it in and, and be committed to the mileage. So um, even if I took it casually, I'm just the kind of person where I'd still want to be prepared. And I decided to just let it go and recognize that I will be happier not training for a marathon this summer. So that's what I decided, but I'm excited to support all of my friends, including you, Lisa, who will be doing it. So, um, yeah, yeah this we're two good examples of like, this is either decision is, um, and I think a lot of people are facing these decisions, whether it was with Boston or with some of now the races that are being canceled. And, and this week we had a lot of news of races that were on the, you know, still on that are now canceled. Philadelphia canceled all events, large events through the end of the year. So that takes the Philly marathon that takes broad street 10 miler, which had been postponed from May um, to later this year, it takes all those races off the calendar. And, you know, I, broad street was one of the races that I had registered for and had the hope maybe would be, would go through on the postponement on the postponed date. But um, those are because of, Philly's rule that those are all off the table. And that really looks, there are still a few marathons that, you know, say they've, they're really working towards being an in-person marathon, but uh, you know, only time will tell. And, and the writing's sort of on the wall that the way the numbers are going, that that's you know, something a lot of people are going to be facing is this choice of whether or not to run a virtual marathon. And it's for people who've been training for marathons that were hopeful to go off in the fall, you know, Chicago and New York. And um, a lot of people had started their training or for, um, you know, for a number of races, wine glass. I mean, the list goes on and on and they've, they've been converted to virtual just like Boston was. So I think that's like, you know, you and I are good examples of, you know, you've got to really look at what is it going to do for you? Is it going to uh, 
give you some structure? Is it going to use, is there a reason you really want to do it? Or is it just something that's going to add more stress or, you know, you just don't want that, that structure and having to get in the long runs. It's not like you're training for a 5k where you can kind of get away with just, um, running here and there. If you're going to run a marathon, like you said, you're going to, you know, you don't need to even run it competitively, but you need to, and, and, and like Aaron Anderson, who we're going to talk to next says, you know, he realized when you're going to run a marathon, you do have to be, especially if you're going to race a marathon, you have to be prepared. So that's, I think people just have to kind of look at a lot of our runners are having these questions and I'm sure a lot of people out there are having this question of like, okay, what do I do now that it's virtual? Do, do I run it? And you just have to look at yourself, your life right now, your schedule, your motivations and decide like, okay, what is it that I want? What's going to make me feel good about this? Is it, you know, yes, I really want to have the structure. I really want to run this race, even though it's virtual, or is it, you know what, I'm going to take a step back and I don't need that. I don't need to put in the mileage this summer just to run, you know, to run a virtual race. And I think that the two of us are, you know, we both come to different conclusions and, and they're both perfectly right based on what works for us. Absolutely. Well said. Um, so yeah, speaking of races being canceled, I feel like uh, every time a race is canceled, there, there's some heartbreak and we completely understand, but I also feel like there's been a shift and we're now at the point where it's more like what race isn't canceled. So I think it's safe to assume, and I don't want to come across as a Debbie Downer at all. I just, I want to be realistic and with what's going on in our country still, and given that we're in mid July, uh, I think we need to assume that those races will be canceled. And I know Marine Corps Marathon is a race that's hanging on for dear life and they've made a lot of accommodations, including a 12 minute mile cutoff and um, making a, a lot of wave start opportunities and making the race virtual, giving people the opportunity to not race the race in person. But when push comes to shove, it's still a large gathering in October in Arlington County. So I'm going to say it. I think it's going to be canceled, the, the live race. I don't have any inside information. I don't have a hotline to Rick Nealis, the race director. But in my humble opinion, I don't think that our area is going to be ready for a gathering that large, even with all of those safeguards in place. So that being said, we shared a post yesterday and we loved the responses to it, but we wanted to talk about it a little bit on our podcast. And that is shift your why. Um, we are so used to as runners and for so many people listening to this podcast, if you are listening, you're probably someone who likes racing or has signed up for races. And as a result, it's hard to sort of figure out as you're running, what is my why? So we're here to say that there are so many whys, so many reasons to run besides racing. And whatever your why is, and we provided a list of at least 20, and then other, uh, other people posted their reasons in the comments figure what, out what your why can be this summer. And maybe your why is simply, I want to be ready for when races return. But look at this summer and this cycle as an opportunity to grow your body, to grow your mind, and to establish a mindset to make you a stronger runner and a stronger human. Because without races, 
you still have the ability to be a better runner. You still have the ability to strengthen your muscle, your mind muscle, your heart muscle, and you still have the ability to think about what you want your running to look like when races return. And so I hope to run for a lifetime. I know you do too. And that is not dependent on whether races exist. That depends on the health of my body. So, um, that's where I am right now is I'm running because I know it's good for me. I enjoy it. I enjoy the process. I enjoy challenging myself. I enjoy vitamin D. I enjoy the mental clarity. I enjoy the sanity. I enjoy the meditation. And when all of those things that we also love about running return, we'll enjoy them so much more. So Perfectly. thank you. So speaking of our podcast real quick, I know we say this over and over, but it's worth repeating. We got another order of buffs in and all we ask um, is when you have a chance, please leave us a review on iTunes and then send us via email to Julie and Lisa at runfarthereandfaster.com, your mailing address. And we will send you a free buff. If you've already left a review and you haven't received your buff, please send us an email and let us know. We are happy to send you one. We want people wearing them and we appreciate the reviews. I'm putting some in the mail today. Awesome. So up next, we have a really special guest. Lisa had already alluded to, we're having Aaron Anderson on the podcast. He's one of the top runners in our area. He's a phenomenal athlete, but also a phenomenal person. And we wanted to have him on the podcast today, not only to talk about his running story, but also his life story. He um, talks about how he grew up managing ADHD, what it was like uh, switching schools a lot as a military brat, what it's like running as a black male distance runner. He talks also about his two incredible businesses, his DJ business called A-Squad Entertainment and his business helping kids learn life skills called Heights and Beyond. And he talks about how he pivoted those businesses during COVID. So we know that anyone who knows Aaron will want to listen to this conversation. But for those who haven't had the pleasure of meeting Aaron, we know you will love his stories. Um, anyone who's a parent, anyone who's had any struggles um, or obstacles over which they've had to overcome, you will relate to Aaron's story. So without further ado, we want to um, share our interview with Aaron Anderson. Lisa, I hope you have a great week. Thanks, Julie. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. We are really excited to announce that we have our first sponsor. R&J Sports, which is located in Maryland, is the first sponsor of the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Even though R&J Sports is a locally owned running store, they do ship nationwide and have a website from which you can order, rnjsports.com. If you go onto the website and purchase something over $100, just put in the code RFFFEATURES, F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S, and they'll throw in a free pair of feature socks with your purchase. You can also call the store at 301-881-0021 and over the phone, they'll provide some terrific guidance on which shoes are right for your foot. While it's not the same as a in-person fitting, for many of us, we can't do that yet. So this is a great option. In fact, one of our runners in China recently contacted the store and they provided her with some great advice and she was able to get a replacement pair of shoes that's working for her very well. So again, call RJ Sports at 301-881-0021. Let them know that you're with the Run Farther and Faster podcast. And if you make a purchase of over $100, they'll throw in a free pair of socks or you can go on their website. Thanks so much, RJ, for sponsoring our podcast. 
Erin Anderson, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. We're really excited to have you. We've known you for such a long time, Erin. It feels like, well, I met you. I'll just tell you how I met you. And then Lisa, you can share how you met Erin. But you were um, Noah's teacher at my gym, um, which was like a children's gym that um, happened to hire, just to be perfectly blunt, a lot of really good looking black men. <laughs> so I'm sorry to giggle, but it was true. So all of the moms would go to my gym with their little ones. They'd be like, wow, Debbie hires a lot of really nice looking teachers for our toddlers. So that's uh, how I met you, Erin. I'm totally embarrassing myself, but it's, it was super funny. And um, at any event, we... Um, our kids loved working with you. And um, from that, I didn't realize you were a runner. And then we started running into each other a lot at races. And I forget that I originally met you in the realm of children's gym activities. My son is now 16. But um, you have come such a long way since then. And we wanted to have you on today, not just to talk about your amazing running journey, but also your amazing career journey because you have so much to offer to anyone listening, especially those who are starting to try and pivot during this time of COVID. Lisa, why don't you share how you met Erin? Well, like, like um, most of Julie and I, our stories, it's, it's identical. Erin knows I met Erin when I, my twins, who are now 14, were at my gym. and He was Mr. Erin. And um, part of the reason my kids loved going to my gym, and I still remember they would go and I would bring Kira, who's 19 months younger than them, and set her on like a you know, in the car seat carrier, just on the top of the counter. And she would sit there while the kids did my gym. And I think what's, what's telling is that we always knew, even back then, Aaron was so good with kids. Aaron has always had like an amazing knack for, um, for helping kids of all abilities. And I think that's what, you know, that's such a big strength of yours. And you then took that and turned that into like lots of business opportunities for yourself, but it's because you're so good at it. And that's, sort of like, like Julie said, that's how we first met you was when you were working with kids and you were so engaged with the kids and um, they loved you so much and the moms loved you too. And then, <laughs> and then Julie and I would see you, you know, around and, and, and same thing, didn't realize you were such a great runner and you are an amazing runner, one of the top runners in your area. Um, and, and then, uh, and you also have your own uh, DJing entertainment business and we're the DJ for my kids' B'nai Mitzvah, which ironically was under the wire. Basically, we had it in November, and if their B'nai Mitzvah was any later, uh, they would not have probably yeah. had that. So, yeah. <laughs> so we keep looking back on that and saying, wow, we were so grateful that we had that, we had that day. And um, my kids still say, uh, Kira just said to me the other day, I wish I could go back to that day. It was like a magical day. And Aaron uh -huh. is a huge reason that that's, I mean, that's the party they remember and everything they did at the party was led by you. So, um, so yeah. kind of full circle in our lives of starting with our kids when they were little and now when they're turning into young adults. Yeah. Yeah. I just got goosebumps because it really is full circle, right? Who would have thought that from my gym and everyone from my gym has literally just helped me just keep moving forward. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually incredible. I, I think Debbie and Kim a lot. I'm like, hey, without you girls being so open and free to allow me to be me, like, I wouldn't be where I'm at. 
yeah, those are the owners of my gym who were also just really involved in the community and so supportive. So it speaks to how much of an impact somebody can have in your life when they support you and help you help you get started. So why don't why don't you kind of start and since we know you, but a lot of our listeners don't kind of back up and kind of tell us about you, like where you grew up, where you went to school, you ran in high school. So if you want to talk about that a little bit. Okay. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was born in Wichita, Kansas. And here's a funny story. And I wish my mom was on here or my dad was on here too, because Flip, right? Your dad is Flip. Yes. Yes. Remember it? Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that. All right. Go ahead. Yeah, I remember that. Um, but I grew up in Kansas. When I grew up, my dad was military. We traveled all over the place. But when I was younger, I was not a runner. I was not athletic. Um, I grew up with ADD, and I tell people all this all the time that this is another reason why I became so good with kids. And, but I grew up with ADD and experienced a lot of my own where I was just kind of like, oh, you know what, very shy. I shied away from a lot of things that were competitive or that had people yelling at me, right? So I was like, oh, not that sport. You know, you're yelling at me to throw the ball or pass the ball and I'm passing it the wrong way. So, you know, those sports I kind of steered away from. But even before then, I didn't like to be, I didn't like loud noises. I didn't like to go up and down like one of the little machines you put the quarter in, you know, you right, get me off of it. Right? Didn't want nothing to do with it. Um, people screaming, none of that. Very, a lot of sensory issues growing up. So um, at one point, I'm not even quite sure when it happened and how it happened, but my world just like turned. And I've always been good with kids. That was one thing, I've always been good with kids. Um, they called me the Pied Piper of kids even when I was younger. My parents would have family come over or friends come over and they'd bring the kids and go, okay, Aaron, you know, take them in the basement and keep them company while we drink. That's what they did and that's what I did. Grew up and that's what I, I stayed with the whole kid thing. Um, I did work at Rio, the movie theater, for like three months. And this is, you know, when people give me 11.50 and I had to give them change back, I was like, Ugh. I was like, you want change? Like, there was no calculator. There was no, like, you know, put the money in. So, of course, I was either over or under in my drawer for, like, three months. So, I got fired. Or I quit. But I was about to get fired, but I quit first. <laughs> so, but then I started working. Um, worked for my mom's daycare. Um, then I worked, you know, started working at my gym. But everything, everything intertwined. I mean, my whole world has really been, you know, a center hub and then a web. Right, and they all just came back. So I want to back up for a second. So you said growing up, you knew pretty early on that you had attention deficit disorder. Was it ADD or ADHD? Well, then it was ADD, right? Then when I first diagnosed, I was during like that very beginning stages of people didn't know what it was, not quite sure. So I was diagnosed ADD and not ADHD. And then now, because I'm not hyper, which is really funny too, because I'm hyper. You see me. You see me. I'm out running. I'm everywhere. Right. You're like, high. You're high energy, but that's different than hyper. Right. So, when I'm with you individually or in a group setting, you will never know, because I learned to control it. I learned to control looking at someone, focusing. Every once in a while, I see past people, but. For the most part. So yeah, I was diagnosed ADD, not ADHD. And how old were you when you were diagnosed? Uh, I was probably about six. 
And what was, and by then had you moved to the Montgomery County area or were you still in Wichita? No, I was, uh, we lived in Germany. We lived okay. in Germany and was diagnosed. A lady from the United States came to our school just because the people, everyone in Germany was like, oh, he's dumb. You know, he's not paying attention. Like, what do we do with him? And this lady from the United States came over and was like, well, listen, need, he has something called ADD, you know? Uh, and so that's when I was diagnosed. But then we end up flying back to Kansas um, and then Virginia. And that's when people started putting in the, you know, the IEP plans and all that stuff. So that woman really started your journey and recognizing that you are a bright person that learned differently. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So once you move from Germany, did you, where did you move to next? So we ended up going to Virginia, Fairfax. Okay. Fairfax. So at that point, and you're... Are you 37? Is that right? Yeah, 37 on Saturday. Okay. Happy birthday. So at that point in your school system, do you feel like they were able to give you the tools that early on to help you? Or was it later in your education where you felt like, think, as you use the phrase, uh, you flipped the switch? Yeah, um, definitely later on. As far as at that time, I still didn't understand. I still didn't realize what was going on. Right, and so I did three years in Virginia. Um, at that point, in my head, I was failing, but my whole thought was, well, why do I need to pass here? I'm about to move, right? Because we moved every three years. So in my head, I was like, we're moving. I don't really need to do schoolwork, right? I do enough for the next two years, and after that, that. well, then we moved to Michigan, and then they were like, oh, my gosh, your grades are really bad. I'm like, well, what do you mean they're bad? Don't, don't my grades start over when I move? <laughs> Doesn't work that way. <laughs> Which I didn't realize that, that my grades don't start over and, like, you know, I start from fresh. Right. So you had a, a double whammy. You not only had to work with um, being uh, diagnosed with something and using different tools and figuring out how you learn best, but you also were changing schools all the time. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. And so do you feel like you gained some skills because you changed school so much growing up? Yeah, and I think that's why I'm able to be who I am now, right? I changed schools. The whole thing was I had to make friends, and the only way to make friends is not be weird, right? And so my whole thing was like, okay, well, if I don't want people to know I have special needs and I need to somehow be friendly, I need to be funny, I need to be outgoing, I need to, you know, I want people to like me for me and not, oh, look, he's in a special education class of, of four or five kids. So for those listening who are parents or, or people or kids with ADHD, you, you kind of said it generally, some things you had to do to, um, you feel sort of not appear weird or different. But looking back, that is your strongest quality. Yeah, so, how did you figure that out? How did you flip the switch and figure out how to take what you perceived initially as weaknesses and display them and use them as strengths? Um, I think it was when I realized I wasn't great at sports. Like I played sports, but I wasn't, you know, I was the last one picked. So were we, by the way. Yep. Were you? Okay. All right. See, now we're runners. We're with you. I'll tell you why we're runners. This is what I tell my kids. I say, don't peak too early. Because <laughs> you know what? Later in life, you'll find your thing and you'll be really good. And all those kids who are really great at sports and they're younger, they're probably, you know, so don't peak too early. 
No, because um, well, and we'll get to the whole running part of when you know I started running, but yeah, I realized I wasn't good at sports, and I think that's when I was like, okay, you know what? That's cool. I don't need to be good at sports, but I can still hang out with all these people and just BS, right? I can I can sit there and be like, oh yeah, yeah I saw that play last night on TV. It was crazy. My ADD, I cannot remember plays. I cannot remember names of people. Um, I can watch a whole football game, right? Going to school the next morning and someone's like, oh, yeah, who who's the quarterback? Couldn't tell you the name of the quarterback. Couldn't tell you if he threw it, like, how many yards he threw a touchdown pass for. My brain is, is not wired that way. And so I can go in and forget. I can watch the whole thing and pay attention. But as soon as I get to school, so I learned at that point, okay, you don't have to know anything. You can BS the, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw the game last night. It was a crazy play, wasn't it? It sounds like, so it sounds like a lot of what you, you know, the skills that you picked up and the way you adapted was really yourself figuring out how to work around. I mean, do you, how much of it do you think was you yourself kind of figuring out the workarounds versus school or support or outside support kind of giving you skills and strategies? Yeah, I think a lot of it was myself trying to just, you know, what I felt and what I perceived and what I saw, right? And going, okay, how, you know, like you said, working around it, figuring out what I need to do to get by for myself. Yeah. Right? And I think that's the hard part for in high school. You talk about what these parents and these kids can do in middle school. I mean, middle school is like worse than high school, something I've realized. But I think for the kids who do have ADD or ADHD and they do feel weird and they do feel like an outcast, that's going to be their strongest suit and they grow when they get older, right? When they realize that they are different, that's the best part. But I don't think in middle school or high school, will they'll ever realize it. That's a really, I think that's such a good and important takeaway. And kind of transitioning into, I mean, I, I've, we've seen a lot of people who've used running, cycling, some of those sports really to also help manage um, ADD, ADHD. Like yeah. it, it, it has become a sport that, you know, just the repetitive motion um, has actually been shown to really help um, kind of mitigate some of the, some of the factors. But so did, how did you, how did you get into running and did you find that that helped you and that was part of your strategy? Yes, absolutely. So when I started running, again, I wanted to be a sprinter because, you know, all black people are sprinters. Yeah, and air, so, quotes. <laughs> air quotes. Right. And so I was like, okay, because I got made fun of again for being a distance runner. Why am I like, growing up, it was white people were distance runners. Right. Right. And that was this, the perception. So all my friends, my brother, everyone was, was sprinters and hurdlers and jumpers. And I couldn't do neither. Right. Which Good makes sense there. because I would imagine like you, you, I would imagine you were kind of a skinny, lanky kid. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Go on. But I couldn't, couldn't run fast, couldn't jump. And I just, the, the hurling thing, you know, one, two, three, kick hurdles. Like, no, no. So anyway, I did hurdles one year and it was my freshman year when I lived in Michigan and I got over the first two hurdles and then the rest were bunny hops. I was like literally just trying to like put my hands on hurdles and jump over them. So then my coach was like, okay, we'll try distance. And I was like, okay. So I went out there and did distance. But again, 
I was out there just to be with friends, right? My freshman year, I was out just to be with friends. Now, was this cross country or track or both? Track. track. Okay, yeah. go ahead. So I was out there. He's like, try distance. I was like, okay, cool. So I'm out there running, and I was just out there running. My dad would tell the story. They would laugh at me because I was out there just to socialize. But that's been my whole life. I've always been a social person. So I was out there running on the track, like, you know, and it's a race. I'm like, oh, hey, you guys are doing good. <laughs> you know, just, my dad's like, it's a race. Like, you're running for time. Move. <laughs> like, you know, just so anyway so i remember that was my freshman year and then we moved here i met my coach coach tolbert i'm sure so you, you so you entered gaithersburg high school your yep. sophomore year sophomore year yes okay so did you did you run fall cross country that year or start out again in track i ran fall cross country that year so i okay. came in the summer went straight across country and my coach he was so funny because i wanted to play football and he was like, no, you can't play football. I was like, oh, no, I'm actually really good. He was like, no, I won't let you. He was like, you're going to run cross country. You're going to be good at it. He was like, I'll make you good. But um, going to how it helped me, I realized that only people yelling at me were positive words. Right? And that was something I've always struggled with was anytime you told me something negative, I shut down. Right? If you looked at me and you gave me like this, your eyes rolled I sense a feeling of irritation or whatever. I backed away. I was like, okay, you know what? I'll figure it out. All right, so that was another part of me where I'm at now. If someone's not going to help me, I'll figure it out. So your coach sounds like he really understood at a, how to connect with kids by providing positive reinforcement and constructive feedback versus criticism. Yeah, well, he actually was a counselor for the school. Ah, perfect. Okay. Right. So he's a counselor for the school, so I feel like, but, oh, I struggled. My coach, I drove my coach nuts because I barely passed high school. I think I passed with a 2.0, and that's because my history coach, I mean, my history teacher was the football coach, and, you know, football goes to track, all that stuff. Well, anyway, he was like, well, what do you need to, to be eligible for cross country and track? I was like, a D. I was like, give me a D. And I'll pass. So he's like, okay, here's your D. So really track and cross country provided you with the structure so that you could get through school. Absolutely. Without track and cross country, I would have, I don't know where I would be right now. So what past school? <laughs> well, okay. So so what was it like for you when you were running cross country? You step onto the Gaithersburg High School team into a big school district for those who don't live in our area that they have a tremendous program. Yeah. How did you go from, I want to go play football to the coach convincing you to join to being one of the top, if not the top runner at your high school? How did that happen? Plus managing your learning disability and feeling probably completely different in athletics than how you felt in the classroom. How did you manage all of that? So another funny story with that is, is if you know and everyone else knows that cross-country runners are probably the smartest kids out of all the athletic teams, right? They just, because they're either band members, they're, they're all these, we're like the, um, we're the kids, like, you know, they don't do other sports. They can't do other sports. So cross-country is where they go to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? We can't, so that's where we go to. We go to individual sports. And again, no one's yelling at us that we're doing bad. They're saying, run faster. You got this. Go catch that guy. He's right there. And when you finish, you either beat your time 
or you pass like 10 people trying to beat your time, even if you didn't get your time, right? So then there's, there's always a positive message in running. I love the way you say that because there are plenty of people that wouldn't have phrased it that way. They might have said instead, I always felt like I could never get the time I wanted. I felt like I was always behind people and I never was able to make top whatever. So here you are already, you don't even realize it, but as you talk about it, it's how you perceived the sport that made it so positive because I'm sure there are plenty of people on your team that didn't perceive the experience that way. Yeah, you're probably right. So what, while I appreciate your perceptions, something happened though that caused you to go from being an average runner to a phenomenal runner. What was it? Okay, and so it, I don't even know, to be honest with you, because again, <laughs> I, I was not an athletic kid and there's no one in my family that does distance running. I'm the only one. Again, my oldest brother who doesn't even live here, he was a sprinter hurler football player. My cousin who lives in Kansas, he was a jumper, high jump, you know, basketball player. Um, but yeah, so sophomore year wasn't great. I showed up wearing basketball shoes and basketball shorts. And my coach was like, eh, you're going to have to change that, you know, and wear something running. And then we had these great, we always had a great Gatesburg team. And they just, I mean, the juniors and seniors came and picked me up during the summer, took me out running, right? They always stayed with us. Through, that's what we did for my sophomore and junior year. They would pick us up, take us out running, pick us up, take us out running. We went to cross-country camp. That was, all, that was fun, too. But, um, yeah, my, my junior year, all of a sudden, it was me and my friend Marcus, who Marcus is faster than I am. He was number two, two-time state champion at Gatesburg High School. And, but um, it was him and I, one and two, every race. And if it wasn't one and two, we were like one and four, you know, whatever it was. But we just stayed together. But this goes back to um, me being on that team. They were so positive and so smart, right? They were straight A students, 4.0, GPA, blah, 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 you know. And I was the only one on the team that was like, I'm cool. <laughs> you know, like, but they had no idea. All my, all my friends on the team were like, why don't I see you in my AP classes? <laughs> and I was like, eh, I don't know, right? They had no idea that I was in the trailers, you know, with three or four kids. That must have been hard because you probably felt like, you know, you were close with members of your team. I'm sure there were times when you wanted to share with them your struggle but you didn't feel comfortable at that point which we understandable you were in high school yeah and there were times but you know what like schooling and running was so different because I was so good at running that at that point no one ever asked anything else yeah it sounds like running was kind of the great equalizer and I always think of that like in terms of um you know just I think about it like uh when 20 years ago when I entered the workforce, golf was like the big thing you went and did. And, you know, and I was somebody who could not play golf. So I never got to go play golf with like the big partners in my law firm or anything like that. But over, over the years, running became like a big thing and we had running teams and we'd have running groups and, and I could hang with them. So like, you know, and when you're out and you're in your running clothes and you're out on the streets, it doesn't matter what your grades are or what, no. your, 
wealth is or what your position is. It's just you're, you're running and you're running together with people. And I think that's really neat about running is it's kind of the great, great equalizer. Amen, yeah, Lisa. It, it is great until, <laughs> <laughs> until, until people are asking you what your times are. <laughs> you can't remember what your times are, right? Because you, you, you finish like, oh, what's your time? I'm like, oh, uh, I just saw it, right? I remember I got interviewed. I beat Marcus, number one runner. I beat him. He was sick, but I beat him still. And I got interviewed by the Gazette, right? And It's a local uh, now defunct newspaper. Yeah, right. Right. So I got interviewed by the Gazette, and they're like, oh, my friend Max Sudo's with me, okay? Thank goodness he was behind me. But he was like, oh, man, Aaron, that was so great. You beat Marcus, blah, blah. Um, who are your competitors here on the field today? I don't know. I I didn't pay attention to anything that had to do with the what is it? The um I guess inside of running times, other people, other people's times, what school they went to. That's a beautiful strategy. I mean, that is an advantage because your mind wasn't you weren't distracted by those uncontrollables. You couldn't control like who's showing up and what they're running. You just focused on you. I knew was like Marcus had to be in my sight. If Marcus is in my sight, I'm good. Love it. But my coach always goes, Aaron, you know, if you would have tried to beat him and not stay right behind him, you probably would have been faster than him. <laughs> That's very interesting. I, I, I mean, could have, should have, would have. Now, just curious, how is Marcus running now? Well, so I'm you? faster than him. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> Again, I'm don't peek too early. Really, really good marathon not too long ago. So, yeah, right. But I think he ended up getting like, a 242 and I was like, <laughs> I was like so yeah what's your marathon PR before we get into your running now just 238 okay yeah he's got a way to go yeah, yeah. um so you graduated from Gaithersburg High School the second runner one of the top two uh, eighth in the and state. second in the, uh, what in the state? state amazing and and just for those who don't live in Maryland that's a stacked field like that's yeah. incredible so what happened post high school? What what did your running look like okay, and your so life? Post high school, I'm going to Montgomery College, and again, I didn't I didn't even want to go to Montgomery College. My dad tried to get me uh, join the military, but I failed the ASVAP. Now the ASVAP test apparently no one fails it, right? It's just a test to go into the military. That's it, and it's simple questions like two plus two, you know, spelling, language, history. I failed it. How did you fail the ASVAP? No one fails the ASVAP. Well, I didn't really want to go anyway. So, of course, I was like A, B, C, A, B. You outwitted the ASVAP. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Exactly. (laughs) But, yeah, so I ended up going to Montgomery College, and I ran there for the first year. And, of course, like, again, I got natural talent. Everyone says it's a natural talent. I go out, I run. I don't know anything about times, pacing. Um, and my coach in college got so mad at me because I was so good. And we went to nationals in Texas, San Antonio. And I ended up getting actually eighth wow. in the nation. Yeah. And for Montgomery Colleges, well, I mean, for Juco Colleges, which, you know, community colleges on the East Coast. So I ended up getting eighth. But I remember going there. We flew there. We're running the course. And I'm just out there running, and my coach is like, Aaron, 
you have to know that you're going to be at this mile at this time. You're going to be at this mile at this time, and it's a 5K, I mean, an 8K, not a 5K, because, you know, college is 8K. And so he's like, got to know this, you got to know this stuff. So I go through, he's like, what's your time? I was like, I don't know, coach. And he got so mad at me. And then, of course, he yelled at me. I shut down. And I was like, you know what? I quit. I was like, I don't even know why I'm running anyway. I hate running. So I walk away and I get, uh, I get about like 10, 15 feet away. And I go, okay, I flew here to Texas with you guys. I probably can't quit right now. <laughs> so I, I walk back over. We both apologize. And then I continue running this course. And I tried to do the whole timing thing. But I think he also realized at that point, like, I was just going to run and it was, it was going to be what it is. So do you do that now? Like, do you have strategy when you run races now? Or do you feel for you it's better to just run the best you can? With I run the best I can, okay. but he taught me something that I didn't know in high school. That, and in high school, I start from the back of the pack and run to the front. And so by the time I get to the front, I'd finally get in, you know, third, fourth, or second place. But at nationals, he was like, Aaron, he was like, start at the front. And he was like, you will get a second wind. He was like, if you just hold and stay within those, you know, six, the one to six uh, plays, you will get the second wind. And so that's how I run now. Like, I start off, and I came in eighth, I came in eighth place at nationals. Um, and I could have got... And this is my other thing I learned too. I'm racing this guy and I'm by myself. I start off in eighth place and I catch up to seventh place at the very end of this race. And I decide, all right, I'm going to race this guy for like, I don't know, it was probably about 300. Yeah, it's probably about 300 yards. I was like, I'm going to race him. All right. So I start off, boom, we're going back and forth, right? We're going back and forth. I race him. He catches up. He races me. I catch up. I finally had like 200 yards left. Book it. I'm like, I'm going for a full out sprint right now. I get down to about 50. That's me. That's tough. It's always tough to know when to turn on the jets for the last, you know, however many meters. Yeah. That's like, I feel like that's trial and error, no matter how experienced you are. What did you learn from well, that? So now, I'm a professional at that point, right? Well, now. I am. So I start off where I feel comfortable. I also have learned that people in America, okay, this was 5Ks, 8Ks, 10Ks. I start off in that top group. And when I know I can race someone, I, I, know when to, I know when to kick. My body tells me when to kick, right? So for me personally, I now know if I start too soon, I'm not going to be able to hold it. If I start too late, he might have a better kick than me. But I also know now that I know my kick is incredible. I can kick for a really long time and hold it for a really long time. But um, so I've trained my body that way. I just now know that I know when to kick and how long I can kick for. That's great advice. I feel like sometimes we lose sight as runners about how to race because it's different than how to do execute a great right. speed workout. Racing is not just about speed. It's about strategy confidence, intuition, yeah. and sort of reading other people. So um, I feel like this is a good transition into what, what does your running look like now? And from your school experiences, 
what have you done to apply those to where All you right. are now? So, so, so I did the 5K, 10Ks. I learned how to kick, outrace people. And then I left college and I stopped. I was like, all right, done, need a break. And my friend came and got me one morning. He was like, Aaron, let's go for a run. I just ate <laughs> McDonald's. I was like, oh, I was like, really? Like, we're running now? He was like, there's a race Sunday, Jeremy's run. We, yeah. we always sponsored that. That's a great run that, um, for those who don't live in the area, it, it was the only run for quite some time that um, supported uh, programs uh, for those recovering from drug and alcohol addiction, and also to raise awareness for addiction. And it was put on by Cindy Glass, whose son, Jeremy, passed away of uh, a drug addiction. No. So well, you ran Jeremy's run. I ran Jeremy's run. I think it was the second year they had it open. And my friend was like, Aaron, there's a race Sunday. You know, you should join it. And I was like, nah, I haven't ran forever, blah, 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 right? It's probably been about maybe, eh, probably about a year off. And so I was like, all right, fine. So train for the week. Monday to Sunday, get back in shape, <laughs> run the Sunday run, and I win. Okay, what year was that? Do you remember? Oh, uh, what? It, well, I can't remember what the second year is. No, it was probably about. It was like it for ten years, right? So, and they just ended last year. It was probably was. Could it have been like eight years ago? You think, or is it? Sounds about right. Yeah, probably about I eight. Feel like we were there. I feel like well, we had yeah. a booth there, Lisa. Probably. I think I was at it almost. I think it was. Okay, at so you basically. Yeah, so you basically ran for the first time in a while for five days after eating McDonald's run, and run you won the race. race. Run the race. Okay. Two plane tickets, set like little private plane tickets to Ocean City. That's awesome. Yeah, and I didn't know I got it. I was like, is this, is this serious? Like, is this a joke? So I fly to Ocean City. After that, I was like, so what you're telling me is, is that if I win races, I get prizes. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first race that was a road race. That did you then, fly, I got to ask, did you fly to Ocean City on your private plane no, and then I race there? I wish I would, no, okay. I didn't do that. Okay, but, yeah. so that kind of got you back that, into got me back into running. And then it went from that. And then as I progressed in life, I realized that these 5Ks were fast. And these college kids were kicking my butt and they're kicking my butt in 8Ks and 10Ks. Well, then I did my first marathon run, uh, Philadelphia, about, about five years ago now. And that was my first race. Again, I told my coach, I was like, hey, I want to train for the Olympics. So I watched, the, I watched the Olympics. I watched it on TV. And I was like, I could do a marathon. It's the first time I watched the marathon. I was like, I could do a marathon. So I told my coach, Tolbert, because Tolbert is still my coach now. So he's my high school coach and then became my, my marathon coach. So I asked him, I was like, I can, I can do a marathon. He was like, have you ever run um, a half marathon? I was like, no. He was like, well, how about a 10K? I'm like, nope. He's like, 10 miles. No. He was like, you know, it's a lot of running, right? I was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, I got this. I can do it. Mentally, I can do it. I'll do it. All right. Um, running. And so I look at it. So I would do this race. He, I got injured going into the race. And... I do the race, come back. I tell my coach, I'm like, hey, how's it 238? He was like, well, did you do the half? And Right? Because he thought I did the half. He was like, that's okay. Did you do the half? I'm like, no, the full. He was like, oh, you know, we got work to do. Well, sure enough, second year, I went to go do it again, but I got cocky and realized that you do got to actually train. You can't, like, if you want to race, right? 
so many people have that thought of like, oh, I can run a marathon. You can't. You can jog a marathon. You can speed walk a marathon. But if you actually want to race a marathon, you do need to train, right? So you ran your first marathon in 238, and you've run some since then. Do you still, is your goal still possibly to qualify for the Olympic marathon trials at some point? Yeah, you know what? I, I would love for that to be my goal. Um, we were talking earlier about the balance of life. And when I first went for my goal of the marathon, it was doing well. I was on goal. I was on track. And then I got injured. And then it shut things down. And then I went for last year. But then I realized I was working too much. I wasn't running the you know miles I should be doing. And then it had to be, what do I want more, right? Excuse me, do I need to survive? Do I need to live, make money? You know, I got the barn by mitzvah world and the um, entertainment, like all the kids and stuff. And then trying to run, it was either running like 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. or running after midnight, which is still the next day. So it didn't make sense. <laughs> right. You're running still very well and you continue to run all these races. What, what does your running look like? Now, um, aside from COVID, but just over the past couple of years, it seems from the outsider that you have a great balance with your running, but share with us sort of what, what you do. Yeah, yeah, I try to do at least two marathons a year, and if I don't do two, it's okay. My mentality right now is I'm not going to kill myself if I miss a race, right? I'm not going to be mad at myself if I don't run a day or two days, right? That just means, I, you know what? I'll take you know a week off and I'll get back into running. I'll do more or you know I missed a day. That's okay, right? I'll figure it out. I'll be fine. Yeah, I love um, what you were telling me before we started our conversation was that you kind of had fallen off for whatever reasons last month, and you, with your birthday coming up, you decided you're going to get you know get yourself back into that routine. And so talk a little bit about what you did. Just because I mean, a lot of people do maybe have fallen off or you know have in the past or especially now without much of a routine, kind of fall off the running bandwagon. So tell us what you did to get back on. Yeah. So my birthday was on the 11th and I chose on the first, I was like, Oh my goodness. I was like, I really have fallen off. I've fallen off of running, working out since COVID and you know, sitting on the couch watching TV all the time. So I was like, you know what? I was like, as 11 days, that's not a lot. I can give myself, so that energy that I need to get in shape for my birthday. Mentally, I was like, I want to look good. I want to look good while I'm driving deep with no shirt on. I want to look good, you know, when I go to the swimming pool if it opens up, right? So I had to really give myself a challenge. And it was a challenge, 11-day challenge. You know, a lot of people were like, well, you can't make up a big change in 11 days. But it really wasn't about the change as it was mentally the change. And getting back onto a routine and back into that, that, you know, just that normal kind of having to be part of your normal. Yeah. Right. Normal schedule. So, physical change. At least I was doing it. At least I was waking up and I was excited about doing the challenge. So what does the, I want to look good in my Jeep with my shirt off Aaron Anderson, 11 day challenge look like. So it's, I worked out twice a day for about 45 minutes to an hour. And I, Got rid of McDonald's and fast food and Starbucks, right? So whatever the healthy eating meant, I don't know what it's – I still don't even know what healthy eating means, but I wasn't doing fast food, right? So I was, like, going to the grocery store and buying frozen chicken. I don't know. I don't know. It was better than McDonald's, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Much better. I was food at home. <laughs> 
So and, let's, um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, balancing running with your, with your business and what you do. And so let's talk, tell our listeners what, you know, what you, you do and then how that's been impacted by COVID and what you've done to kind of pivot your, your businesses in this, in this time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So COVID hit and I have an entertainment company and the entertainment company, we do bar and bat mitzvahs and weddings and birthday parties, corporate events. And a lot of these events are indoors. Well, COVID hit. And of course we can't do any of these events indoors anymore. We can't be around more than 50, 60 people anymore. And that's what a lot of these events are. So there was one day this kid was having a bar mitzvah at nighttime and we were supposed to do it. And I said to myself, I was like, well, I don't really want to do a Zoom party because it just did not seem very personal, right? And for me, now, my over 180, I need loud music. I need to feel it for me to actually feel like I'm doing something. So I talked to my business partner and was like, hey, how can we go to this kid's house and do a mock intro? You know, like, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. How do we put the speakers in my Jeep, the microphone, drive up to his house and just start partying. And so we tried it, we figured it out. And um, that's what we're doing now. We are taking my Jeep mobile and we've been able to do birthday parties for people in their front lawn. Um, and we've done Grad- adults, we've done, we did a, a graduations. Graduations, we've done graduations now. Uh, we did a 70th birthday party the other day. We did seven year old birthday parties and people love it. I think they love more so just because they're outside and it's like their own personal uh, block party. People come out, they get in the front lawn, they keep their social distance and it really is like lifting people's spirits. They're like, oh, this is so much fun. We got people who are in their 40s or 30s and we play straight old school. You guys love your old school music, your 80s and 90s. We (laughs) do. I think it's brilliant. I I remember seeing you... um, do it for the first time we knew the bar mitzvah boy and we're friends with the parents on facebook and we saw your video and i immediately thought aaron figured it out like what a great pivot for someone because your company a squad entertainment like you said everything you do is based on large gatherings which we can't do right now so I, i thought it was a tremendous idea and when those events do come back. I hope those who live locally remember what you did because we, we want your business and all of these local businesses to be back to where you should be very quickly. We know people are eager to use you in yeah. an indoor space. Um, can I pivot for one quick story? And that is, I remember it was a year and a half ago, it was um, Braden's Bar Mitzvah and it was in November. And I was a guest and you were the DJ and it was a very late party and you were on the dance floor trying to get everybody going and I'm dancing and you're like, Hey, what time's the race tomorrow morning? Because we both were running the Rockville 10K. And I was like, I think it's at eight. All right. I'll see you there. So we both, um, leave it's a really I mean you were there later than me because you had to clean up and everything but we both arrive at the Rockville 5k 10k at you know 7 30 or something in the morning we take a selfie we send it to all of the people who were there the night before <laughs> good morning everyone and it was so cool because I believe you won the 5k 10K. and 
10k um male and i was the second female in the yep. 10k and we yep. both were like yeah we can burn the candle at both ends now i wouldn't normally advise that but i thought it was really funny and it was cool to be in like your world of burning the candle at both ends so speaking of which um you pivoted that business but you you also have another business which is very special so um explain to our listeners what your other business is Okay, so yeah, but some other business, and this goes why trying to fit running in is so wild, but this other business really helps my running because I have a bit company called Heights and Beyond, and I work with kids with special needs and all kids, but it started with kids with special needs uh, and teaching bike riding, swimming, hand-eye coordination, running, um, and I'm not a triathlete, which is really funny because when I say what I do, people are like, oh, are you a triathlete? I'm like, nope, but I can teach these lessons but yeah so I've been doing that and I've been doing that for over 10 years now what's your secret with um I mean I I consider you to be the bike whisperer you've taught so many kids I know how to ride bikes and how to swim what what is your secret what can you do that parents can't and how do you do it this goes back to me growing up with ADD right this this goes back to the way I approach the kids um, when they're frustrated, what my facial expressions look like, what, how I can change that frustration into a game, into something fun, right? If, my, if they run over my toe, it's funny to me, and I can make it funny to the kid that he ran over my toe without me getting upset that he didn't turn right when he should have turned left or whatever it was. And that's why you ran over my toe. Like, right? I think a lot of what we do as adults, we play a blame game. And a blame game to a kid, they soak it in, right? If you didn't drop, you know, if, if you would have waited for me to pour the cereal, there wouldn't be milk all over the floor, right? Instead of going, okay, how do I explain that we should wait for you to pour the cereal so that you can do it the right way versus doing a blame game? And that's what I try not to do. I don't blame the kids for anything any mistakes and if there are mistakes they're funny mistakes so that's beautiful that's really important i think if if every parent and teacher had the ability to think that way i mean none of us are perfect we all lose our minds especially during this time but just that message of positive positive reinforcement positive parenting positive coaching all of those things make such a difference to kids who, as you referenced earlier, are like sponges. Not only do they soak up information, but they soak up emotion. They feel it. Absolutely. Love yeah. it. They, they see it. They sense it. They feel like, so even if you do an eye roll and you don't think they saw it, they feel that energy, right? A deep sigh, that goes a long way. Great advice. It's great advice. (laughs) Works with adults too, I think. Even adults are absorbing that, but I think that's um, that's that's really, I think, really important. So, um, what I mean, what working with kids, and you kind of touched on this a little bit already, but working with these kids and seeing what they're capable of doing, what what advice would you give the parents to to you know uh, to be able to incorporate what you're talking about, kind of that positive get getting out of our blame mindset and you know what what advice do you give to parents who are trying to to work with their kids either with special needs or or without special needs or just maybe on some certain challenge right right right. i think we just gotta step back right 
when something happens versus reacting, we really have to sit there and think about what our reaction is going to be. Right. And so if parents can do that, all right, Jimmy broke a glass before I let loose or yell like, ah, you, you, you cut me or whatever it is. Kind of go, oh, okay, that, you know what? I need the glass anyway, right? And then go into like, hey, you know, let's clean this glass up before so-and-so hurts themselves. So right? taking and, that step back and thinking about the reaction first. Yeah, yeah. so changing the way we do uh, teach or coach, you know, I think that's the way it is. We got to stop. Look at the person. Look at the person's face. If they broke something and they look mortified, it doesn't help to make them feel worse. Yeah, it sounds like common sense, but it's a great reminder because people sometimes forget how powerful their emotional reactions can be, even if their emotions are quick and yeah. disappear quickly. They can have a long-lasting impact on a kid. Absolutely, and I know a lot of kids, I mean, my, for myself growing up, a lot of things I would do and I wouldn't have a thought on how I made someone feel or what that, I'm trying to think of the word, how to put it, but like, all right, so if I did something and you yelled at me for doing something because I showed no feeling or no emotion toward it, it's not that I didn't feel it. It's probably like my way of shutting down going, uh-oh, like I know I'm about to get in trouble for this. So why even bother? That's a great point. Right, and that so, happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. A lot of kids will do stuff and then they'll walk away like it didn't bother them. But they also know. They know they're about to get rimmed out again. <laughs> I'm so impressed, Erin, how well you know kids. And um, I know it's from a lot of your past experiences and how you felt as a kid. But to be able to hang on to that as an adult, like a lot of us think like, oh, I was a kid once. I know how my kids or how a kid will react. But it's it's really fascinating to me because even just listening to you talk, like, I could think of my kids, you know, and how they react to things. And it's just, you, you are, I'm going to go back to something you said at the very beginning and tie it into what I've seen that you said, you know, you're the Pied Piper of kids. And I still remember you came and very kindly volunteered your, your um, entertainment for my kids, the twins, fifth grade graduation from elementary school. And you did the pool party for them. And I remember standing with all the parents and they were all looking at you in awe and watching the like all the kids follow you around the pool and listen to what you were telling them to do and whatever activity. And they all kept saying, he's like the Pied Piper. He's like the Pied Piper. So I just think it's remarkable that you, I mean, I think that's really something special about you and why you're so good at what you do, both things that you, all the different things that you do, but it's that you really do get, you know, you can really relate to these kids and you really get it. And I think that's, that's, that's very special. Yeah, and, and I, I get them on so many different levels, right? And so I teach high school at a high school level, and I go, all right, you know what? I've been down that road, right? So when, when you're running and you're not focusing, I'm not going to be the one to be like, God, oh, Jimmy, like, oh, you have to do That's not who I am. That's not the coach I am. We have those coaches. And so these kids look at me, and sometimes they don't respect me on a certain level, but I know deep down inside – I don't coach for that reason. I coach for the fun of it, right? I coach for these kids to be able to have the choice to play football, run cross country, quit. If they want to quit, you know what? 
this is the time to do it, right? If you want to go try a different sport, high school is the only time that you're going to have that opportunity to play a different sport. Absolutely. And, and to your point earlier, cross country and track are the few sports that are not cut sports. So yeah, everybody right. has an opportunity still, unlike some other sports. Exactly. So um, you mentioned briefly that you coach high school runners and you coach a lot of youth in your spare time, which we don't know when you sleep. Uh, that would be a whole other podcast. But, you know, we've talked so much over the past few months about the importance of recognizing that the running community is not diverse the distance running community is not diverse and we can all do a better job of being more inclusive. And um, I feel like there's been a lot of movements over the years, but I feel like this movement, this Black Lives Matter movement amidst COVID where people are paying attention, following the death of George Floyd, following the shooting of Ahmaud and death of Ahmaud Arbery, I feel like there's been a shift. And so we wanted to ask you, first of all, what are your thoughts on what the running community can do better to be more inclusive and whether you've had any struggles that you would be comfortable sharing with us um, as a black man who runs distance in our community? You know, it's funny. Um, now, let's say high school was different, right? Running distance was not a black African-American thing, but it's always been, right? Ethiopians, Nigerians, Kenyans. It's always been an African-American thing, but not an African, I'm sorry, it's always been an African thing, but not an African-American thing, right? And so everyone in America is like, oh, well, you're black, you play football, basketball. Uh, same with soccer, right? Soccer was never an African-American thing. It's always been another country. Um, but as far as running, I think we just need it. Also, now, a lot of my black friends who play football and baseball and whatever, or whatever sport they played, they can't play that no longer as an adult, right? And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It comes full back around. Now they're like, Aaron, hey, I just did my first 5K. I'm signing up for the first mud. I'm like, oh, really? You made fun of me back in high school. Look at you now doing distance running. So, but I think what we need to do for our, my own race is really start supporting people and another event, no matter what it is, right? Support people and listening to different music. Support them and to doing whatever sport it is that's not African, like black, right? And anybody, everybody could just start stop going, oh, well, these are the only ones that run this. These are the only ones that play this. If we we gotta start opening our minds up and going, you know what? Anyone can do it. Everyone can do it, and you're probably just as good as the rest. Are you seeing any shift in you know because you do coach youth? Are you seeing any shift in that? Like as you said, you know when you were in high school, you were like one of the only black kids who was you know running, wasn't playing football or wasn't sprinting or wasn't hurdling or you know doing yeah. the more stereotypical. Are you seeing a shift now at all? It's a small shift because even though they do it they still are doing it to train for something else. Interesting. Right. And so they're not out there running because that's what they want to do. They're out there doing it because they're trying to stay in shape for the track season or they're trying to stay in shape for whatever other sport, basketball. So even when they find out that they're good at it, they're like, no, 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 no. I, I can never run that far. All this sucks. But then when they do it, they find out they're good at it, but it's still, they're still in their head. That's not their sport. 
right? They're still a basketball player or a football player or something else, and that's just their side thing. That's really interesting. Exactly. So I don't know when this shift is ever going to happen, but it's something about the distance thing. I don't even think it's no longer a white versus any other sport. I think people just don't see themselves running five miles for fun. <laughs> yeah, good point. I, I feel like there's also just this, if there's the sense of like when people see you, you're a black man running distance, going to Boston, you're in the start corral. I would imagine there aren't a ton of people who look like you in the start corral at the Boston Marathon. No. But you are also someone, you're very prolific on so, social media. You're, you're a lo, sort of a local, for lack of a better word, celebrity. People know you. And by virtue, I would hope, by kids and young adults and people who look to you as, as someone they admire, they see you doing that. That in and of itself, to me, would encourage more inclusion in the distance community among Black runners. Yeah, and I, and I hope so. When I, I post everything you guys see me post, it's really sporadic and random, and sometimes it's all over the place. But I do enjoy seeing a lot of my friends from high school, my black friends go, oh, man, Aaron, you know, can you help me train for this? Or, you know, can, can you give me some ideas on how to run? What shoes do I need to wear? So that's cool. That's like, all right. You know, they're trying. They're looking to do different things. So my posts do help, and I see it. But I'll just keep doing that, you know. Yeah, keep the positive posting and inspiring others. So before we go, we had um, two questions left. First is, um, what are your goals? I'm gonna. We're just gonna pretend 2020 is over. (laughs) What are your goals for 2021 and beyond? So I, during COVID, I definitely have come to going okay. I need to do more for myself and not for everyone else, right? Um, so my goal for 2021 is to really focus on running, really focus on heights and beyond. Um, I love the DJ company, and I'm going to keep doing it, but I love working with kids and with kids with needs more. And so my goal is to really take my running, take my workouts, and do something more with it with the kids. Um, and also train for the next Olympics if – we ever get back to that. <laughs> Love it. And then our final question is, because inquiring minds want to know, where do you get your famous Maryland running shorts? <laughs> so I would have to ask my sister because my sister got those for me for my birthday probably over six years ago. And I wear them at every race that's away. Just away. You have to ask your sister and tell us and we'll put them in the show notes because they are awesome shorts for for those that live in Maryland. Yeah. 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 So we'll put in the show notes also the links to both of your businesses, um, both of which are, of course, locally owned businesses that we want people to support. And um, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. There's so much more we could talk about. We're we're sorry that we're limited because it is a podcast, but... you could easily write a book, Erin. You've got a lot of great nuggets, um, a lot of wisdom, and uh, we so appreciate your willingness to share it all with us today. So. Well, I'm going to write it for me because there's no way I'm sitting down doing that. <laughs> we'll be your ghost writers while running or something. <laughs> so thank Aaron, you, Erin. So great to see you. We miss seeing you out on the roads, but 
hopefully we'll all be out there again soon. So yeah, thank yeah, you for everything you've done too. for our families, for our, like, you know, like we said, full circle from our kids when, and us when our kids were very young and we were new parents all yeah. the way through now. And thank you for everything you do for the community because you really are, as Julie said, kind of a, a rock star and celebrity in the best sense of the word here that everyone adores you and respects you and really looks at you as the Pied Piper of children, but also adults who admire um, all of your qualities. Uh, well, I appreciate you girls having me on. I really thank you a lot. All Thanks, right. Take Aaron. care, Aaron. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.